glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Again, I don't want to just say this before we read our text. The focus this morning is not on the subject of mothering, though I think you find here a tremendous example of what a mother ought to be. A lot of times on Mother's Day, our focus will be on the concept or the the thought of mothering. I don't believe that's the way the Lord led me this morning. This is the third message, not three weeks in a row, because it was gone last week, but the third message in a row that's going to focus on how we respond to the Word of God. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, let me say this. I believe the Lord Jesus on the other side of that cautioned us not to be an offense uh, he said it's impossible, but that offenses would come. By offense, we don't mean simply getting your feelings hurt, but turning away or being turned away from the Word of God by the actions or decisions of someone else. How many of you have met someone said, I went to that church, but I left there and never attended again because, and they fill in the blank. And the blank they fill in is going to be a person or people. Uh, I would either, you know, the folks were unfriendly or uh, the preaching was this, or there's going to be some reason. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes someone has truly been hurt. I would say this, though. As we read this story, uh, this account of this woman's faith kind of takes away about 99.9% of the reasons or excuses given for why we get offended at the Word of God. Uh, there's, no, there's no excuse for getting offended at the Word of God, but perhaps sometimes the people of God. I would say this, and you've heard me say this even recently, if a person attended a church and was treated like this woman got treated, most people, especially Americans, would walk out and never come back. Now, how many of you have ever asked somebody a question and they just flat out ignored you? You knew they heard you. You knew that they acknowledged what you said, but they wouldn't even answer you. That's one of the rudest things you can do in our culture. I mean, really, and I think probably in any. And yet, initially, that's how our Lord responded to this woman who petitioned him It's no wonder he called her faith great. Uh, We know this. Faith is a grain of mustard seed will move mountains. This woman had more than mustard seed faith. I find it interesting what she accomplished with her faith. She didn't move mountains or cast trees into the the ocean, uh, mountains or trees. She used her faith to entreat God to get a victory over Satan and to see her daughter loose from the power of sin and Satan. She understood what faith was about and how it ought to be used. And, uh, and so let's, let's read it, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And immediately then I want to go to Mark chapter 7 and read it in verses 24 uh, through 30 because both accounts together give us a full detail of what took place here. So Matthew chapter 15, if you're there, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed un- into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto the Lord, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. 
Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now to Mark chapter 7, almost an identical uh, reading in Mark chapter 7. Now one of the wonderful things about the Gospels is you get the same truth from two different perspectives. And you get a, a clear picture of what took place. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house, and would have no man know it. Now, I've underlined in my Bible the next phrase, but he could not be hid. Now, this is not challenging the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. There's a different lesson here uh, when it tells us he could not be hid. We'll come back to that in the message. Verse 25, For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. Verse 30 says, And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. How many of you enjoy getting specific answers to prayer? I do. I, I, I get great joy out of petitioning the Lord to do something that I believe only He can do and then watching Him accomplish that. How many of you does it disturb you when you pray something and seemingly get no answer? It is equally disturbing to me as much as answered prayer is joyful to me Seeming unanswered prayer is disturbing to me. And, uh, and the one thing the Bible tells us about prayer is that we are to continue in prayer. We are to watch and pray. We are to, uh, lest you enter into temptation, he said. We are to uh, uh, pray without ceasing. There's an emphasis put on don't stop asking in prayer to the Lord, uh, even though it may seem that he is not answering. There are so many aspects about faith in the Bible that are demonstrated, I believe, in this one account here. I want to give you just a couple of things about the text though, that I think will help put things in context. Only two times in the New Testament does Jesus call someone's faith great. Dad and I were talking about this just a little bit last night. To my knowledge, it's only two times. He would say to many people, Thy faith hath saved thee, or thy faith hath made thee whole. But two times he went out of his way to say, this person's faith is great. On both accounts, they were both Gentiles, not Jews. He said it to rebuke the unbelief of the Jewish people. He had come into his own, his own received him not. They, they despised him. His own townspeople dismissed him because they knew him. Well, this is Jesus of Nazareth. How does he do these mighty works? Matthew chapter 13 tells us, verse 58, I believe it is, uh, right there, when he came to his own town, his, they said, we know his mother and his brethren, and we know this guy, and the Bible says he did no great miracle there. He could do mo- no mighty works in that place because of their unbelief. That's because they were short on the, the exchange in the kingdom of God. They were not approaching God by faith. They were challenging, questioning, and dismissing him. And yet twice he commended Gentiles for their great faith. In those two accounts, there are some similarities. The first one is the centurion, the Roman centurion, who comes to Jesus and he desires that his servant would be made whole. And he does so. First, the man doesn't even see Jesus in person. He sends his friends to say, my servant is sick. And he says, I'm not worthy. The Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy that he should come under my roof. 
He didn't think that he was fit that the Son of God should even come into his home. Then he believed that the Lord Jesus could heal the man without ever seeing him or touching him. He said, if you command it to be done, it'll be done. He said, I'm a man under authority, and I know how this works. When you tell someone under authority what to do, they do it. And he said, my servant is sick, and you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to come inside. You don't need to lay hands on him. If you just say the word, it'll be done. Whereas most people would say, come lay thy hands on my little daughter. Come lay your hands on... The centurion said, you don't need to come. Your word is enough. You're tracking this morning. The Syrophoenician woman, it's the same. Did Jesus ever physically lay eyes on this woman's daughter? No. Did this woman need him to? No. She went and she said, I'm asking that you would command. She had the same kind of faith the centurion did. If you say the word, Satan has to obey you. The child had an unclean spirit. She understood authority. And based on that, she went to the Lord Jesus and said, I'm asking you to do what I know you can do. And when he spake and said, your daughter's whole, she took him at his word, went home and found it just like he said. Now, I believe the Lord calls that great faith because it required no physical evidence, simply his word. Was it? But I want to break this great faith down this morning. I will say one more thing about this context. In Matthew chapter 15, the chapter begins with some, some, some cynics, if you would, some, some people who are constantly uh, critiquing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Pharisees and the scribes. And it begins with them criticizing Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands before they ate a meal. Now, I know that's entirely, extremely important that you wash your hands before every meal or you're probably not on your way to heaven. That's what they thought. Because they don't honor the tradition... By the way, you find somebody that is more vehement over a tradition that's not found in the Bible than they are over the commandments of God that are in the Bible, you got a problem on your hands. Amen. Scribes and Pharisees came to them. They said of Jesus' disciples, why don't they wash before they ate? And Jesus let them have it. That's the only way I know to say it. He said, not that which goeth in a man defileth him, but that which cometh out of him. And he got right down to the root of the problem and said, it's not what's going into your skin, what's going in your mouth that's going to destroy you. It's what's coming out of your heart. And the the disciples got concerned. They come to Jesus there in Matthew chapter 15, I believe it's verse 12. Then came his disciples and said to him, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended at thy saying? They were more concerned about these critics who had criticized them. Then when it comes to the Syrophoenician woman who actually is trusting God for a miracle, they didn't care if she got offended and left. didn't matter to them. You can let her go. We're not worried about her. But boy, these Pharisees who are concerned about outward purity, boy, we've got to make sure they stay happy. And what I'm trying to say is there's a, there's a theme in Matthew 15 about getting offended at the Word of God. Here are the Pharisees who got offended over what was true. They got offended when they were told, the problem with you is a problem of your heart. But when this Syrophoenician was told, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs, she said, that's true. And I'm a dog, but even dogs get crumbs. (laughs) May I say this? Great faith never balks at the truth. Great faith prefers the truth that comes out of God's mouth over anything else. You see, God will never say anything that's untrue. Never. But sometimes we respond to what he says as though it might not be true. Right? Sometimes we read something God says in his word and we know it's exactly what he says. We think, is that true? That's not faith. That's unbelief. So I want to do this this morning. We're going to consider four things about this woman's faith 
that I believe we see characterize great faith. We'll start in Mark chapter 7 because it tells us about how her faith came about. We'll call this the root of her faith, the root of her faith. Mark chapter 7 again, verses 25 and 26. You ever wonder how she knew who Jesus was? He's hiding. He comes into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, meaning he's on the edge of Judaism, if you would. He's over there in Gentile territory. How in the world does this woman, number one, know he's there? She's never seen him to our knowledge. Not only does she know he's there, she knows who he is. She calls him, thou son of David, and she falls at his feet. She knows who he is. How? Somebody told her. She heard Great faith does not come by what we observe with our eyes. Great faith comes by what we hear with our ears. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a brand of so-called faith today that really rests on circumstances. We say, well, I think this is what God wants, and then we watch our circumstances, and we're really being superstitious. We're not living by faith. Well, I see that it's going to work out to do things God's way, so I'll press forward. Or we think that God is... And don't misunderstand me. God does work in our circumstances. I don't want to be confusing. But many times, I believe, even as Christians, we're being more superstitious than we are living by faith. Which am I more sure of today? That the sun's going to shine all day long or that Jesus is going to come back? Well, I don't know when he's going to come back, but I know for sure he's going to come. That one thing I do know, because he said so. And we could go on and give other illustrations, but I want to look Mark chapter 7. The root of this woman's faith was not what she saw, but what she heard. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, and what are the next three words? Heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Hold your finger in Mark 7, go with me to John to the end of the the book, John chapter 20. And I want us to read what the Lord Jesus said to Thomas concerning faith. John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, and you can get there and pick up with me when you get there. I'm in John 20, 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, and I've underlined in my Bible, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now listen here. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast, what? Seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. You know, that's talking about us today. I've never seen the prince in his hands. I've never seen the the mark in his side. I've never seen him physically. I will not see him until I either die or am raptured away, nor will you. But may I say, sight, we do not believe because we see. We see because we believe. When we take God at his word, then we believe. And what I'm trying to say about this woman's faith, the reason it was great faith is she believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. As a Gentile, she believed it, without ever having seen Him. 
She said, Jesus, thou son of David. She believed that before she ever came to him. Meaning she took at God's word. And by the way, I understand some person had to tell her, but calling Jesus the son of David means somebody took the scripture and explained to this woman who he was. And she believed it. May I say this? You'll never get anywhere with God and his power until you take God at his word concerning who Jesus is. More and more I say this. The most important question you'll ever answer in your life is, who is Jesus Christ? When you can answer that by faith, you have eternal life. <laughs> because Jesus Christ and who he is determines what the world is. That determines who... Look, Jesus Christ is our creator. Jesus Christ is our savior. Jesus Christ will one day be our king. You better know who he is. <laughs> and believe what God says about his son. God in heaven gave a, gave a record concerning who Jesus Christ is. That's what First John says, verse chapter 5. This is the record that God has given us of his son. The Bible is a record of who Jesus Christ is. May I say this? To deny Jesus Christ is to deny God himself because that's who God is. He is God in Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the, is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This woman, my point is this, she had great faith because one day she heard. And I think everybody knew her knew she had a burden. She had a little daughter that was vexed with a devil, an unclean spirit. Uh, Satan had got a hold of her little girl. And somebody said, you know what? Somebody just showed up in town yesterday. You need, you, if you want your little girl fixed, this man can help you. She probably said, I've heard that before. They said, no, 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 no. This man is the son of God. Amen. Satan has to do what he tells him. And by the way, we need to remember that this morning. Satan is powerful. God has given him a certain level of power and a certain level of domain, but he has to obey Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so this woman believed that. I believe we need to believe it again. We look around and say, well, look at all that Satan is doing. Hey, how about look around and look at all that Christ Jesus has done? In spite of everything Satan has done, I'm standing here this morning born again. You're sitting there today, if you're saved, born again. That's not Satan, that's God's doing. This morning we need to be reminded that what the Bible says about Jesus is still true. Don't look at the news and find out if Jesus is the Son of God. Look at your Bible and know that He is. And so then she heard of Him and she hearkened to what she heard. Somebody told her who Jesus was and she believed it. Somebody told you one day who Jesus was, and you had to believe it to be saved, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. You ever notice it doesn't say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth all the sins you've ever committed? We've gone through this before, but that's not what the Bible says. Salvation is not confessing with your mouth all your sins. Yes, you have to acknowledge you're a sinner. Salvation is confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, knowing that as a condemned sinner, only he can save you. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and when the mouth confession is made unto salvation, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The root of her faith was what she heard, not what she had seen. Great faith is not anchored in our experiences. Great faith is not anchored in our emotions. Great faith is not anchored in our intellectual reasoning. That needs to be said this morning. It's a lot of theology today that's nothing more than human reasoning, not what God says I'm going to tell you something. I believe in creation this morning not because I can explain to you scientifically that it took place. I believe in creation this morning because the Bible says that's what happened. You with me? I'm glad that science is there if it's true science. True science and God's Word will never contradict. 
It's only science falsely so-called. But we don't believe in creation because science tells us it's true. We believe in creation because God said it's true. Amen? We don't believe the things in the Bible because we prove them out by our experiments. We believe them because God said it. We rest great faith, rest on the Word of God. Listen, I look around me today and see signs that tell me I think the Lord's coming in soon. You say, what's soon? I don't know, but I look at the world and say, man, it looks like he's coming soon. But may I say to you, I don't believe that the Lord's coming back because of the news. I believe he's coming back because he said he is. Amen? That's the faith must... Let me tell you this. I am tempted to believe these things for the wrong reasons. But you start basing your faith on what you experience or on what you can explain, and your faith will waffle very soon. We place our faith in what God has said, then we'll have a faith that does not move. So then faith cometh by not seeing, not explaining. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. All right, the root of great faith is the hearing of God's word. Number two, we see the revelation of her great faith. Let me explain this. I don't mean how her faith was revealed, but what her faith revealed. One of the reasons I think The world is not seeing more of the reality of Jesus Christ is lack of faith in us who know him. Meaning this, Jesus, the Bible says in Mark 7, came and would have no man know where he was. Let's read again verse 24 of Mark 7. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it. Meaning he's getting away, he goes into a house, and he says, don't tell anybody where I'm at. Well, then how did she find him? Do you know what it, that, you know what it is that brings Jesus Christ into very clear focus? What removes the things that hide him from our view? Faith. It's faith. If you, you and I can give an intellectual... Here's one of the reasons I think there's a danger in uh, apologetics. I understand there's a time when you're dealing with someone like a Pharisee to make a good defense and earnestly contend for the faith that way, so don't misunderstand me. But if you and I think that we're going to win the world through intellectual arm wrestling, ain't going to happen. You know what? Jesus Christ is known by faith. It's amazing once you take God at his word and say, I do believe he was born of a virgin. It's amazing how your view of him changes. You know what? The world is divided between people who believe he was actually born the way God says he was. The people that believe he was born of a virgin believe he lived a sinless life and that he was the only one that could give his own life as an atonement for our sins. The people that don't believe in the virgin birth because they don't believe God are the same ones that say, well, he probably sinned like the rest of us, but he left us a good example. Is their view of Christ accurate or inaccurate if they think he could sin? Inaccurate. Why? Because they don't believe him. If you just believe the Bible, it'll change your entire view of Jesus Christ. He'll come into focus. Here's my point. Jesus himself went into a house and would have no man know where he was, but he could not be hid because someone was approaching him by faith, and faith reveals God. Amen? The Bible makes it very clear. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart says, I've got to believe God. God cannot lie. And so then, he could not be hid, the Bible tells us. Here's what. Look at verse 25. Four. Verse 25. The first word of verse 25 explains the last statement of verse 24. He could not be hid for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. Her faith led him directly, her directly to where he was. 
So it says, I have no idea what the Lord's doing in my life today. I can't perceive His hand. Sometimes the Lord takes us through dark valleys and doesn't allow us to see. All we can do is hear His voice. But may I say this? If the Lord seems to be hiding from our, and I'm not talking about physically, but from our comprehension where we're not understanding who He is and what He's doing, the way to bring Christ into view is take Him at His word. Believe Him. A couple of things about the revelation of our faith. It revealed His presence it revealed the reality of who he is. There are those today, I don't know if I believe in God or not. I don't know if I believe Jesus is the son of God or not. When I hear that, that immediately says there's someone. This is ironic. The reason they can't be sure of these things, they don't believe God. When we take God at his word, it opens our eyes. Uh, it revealed to her that he was present, but it revealed not only that he was there, but who he was. Remember Matthew 15, she came, fell at his feet and said, Thou son of David. This woman had a, an accurate picture of exactly who Jesus Christ is. It wasn't according to her imagination. It was according to his word. And so we see the root of her faith was what she heard, the revelation of her faith, because she had faith in him. And great faith makes Jesus Christ known. It makes him clear and gives us a clear comprehension of who he is. Look very quickly at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at the flip side of this coin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here it is, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which what? Believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why can't they see Christ? Because they believe not. They believe not. May I say this? You've heard me say this. If you've heard me say it once, probably 50 times over the last few months. We complicate the work of God. When it comes to the truths of God, we either believe Him or we don't. God makes some very clear-cut statements in His Word, does He not? He tells us very clearly. May I ask why is there confusion over today whether Jesus is God? Among people who claim the name Christianity. Now, I'm not confused about it, and you're not confused about it, but in the world there seems to be confusion. Some of us hold, yes, He's God. He's the Creator who became flesh. If you read your Bible, why is there confusion over that? Because there's a day when somebody read it and said, I don't believe it. I don't believe the Word was made flesh. I don't believe, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, I don't believe that he's actually Jehovah God. And so they create an entire religion on their unbelief. Because we don't accept that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't believe that, then we create some concept of Christ that you'll never find in the Bible, that he raised as a spirit, not in flesh. Do you realize Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, Handle me and see, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Friends, that's not confusing. That's his resurrected body. He said, I'm flesh then why is there confusion? Because of unbelief. Once you take God at His Word, some things get very clear. Let me say this. Why is there confusion over whether or not uh, an actual change takes place inside the soul of a man when he gets saved? God says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a 
new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. May I say this? If you've, by, by the Word of God, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you did, whether you feel like it, whether you can explain it, whether you think so, if you truly, sincerely took God at His Word and put your trust in Christ, He did something in you that's eternal. Amen. And you need to take Him at His Word. One of the reasons we're defeated as Christians by sin is not because we don't have the victory, but because we don't believe we have it. He already told us He's conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. If we'd take Him at His word, we'd have His riches in full. I believe that with all my heart. He's given us all that we need. All sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. And if He's in me and I'm in Him, then all I need to have access to His grace is to trust what He says. And so we see the root of her faith is what she heard, the revelation of her faith. When she exercised faith, you don't see what a great woman she was. When she puts her faith in him, who gets who becomes clear in focus here? What's this woman's name? We have no idea. What was the centurion's name? I have no idea. Great faith is not so I can write books about great faith. Great faith is so Jesus Christ can be made known. Great faith does not bring the person exercising faith into focus. It brings the object of their faith, Jesus Christ, into focus. And so then, the root of her faith, the revelation. Number three, the reality of great faith. We've seen the root of it. It's by hearing, not by seeing. The revelation of it. Great faith reveals the Savior. It does not magnify self. Number three, the reality of great faith. First of all, great faith is singular. The woman did not say, I'm going to try Jesus. If this doesn't work, I'll try something else. You ever heard, please, if you've ever said this, ask the Lord today to forgive you for saying it and don't say it again. Well, you ought to at least try Jesus. No, 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 no. He's not something to try that might not work. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if it seems like his will and way don't work, then I'm confused, but there's nothing wrong with him. We've got to get that settled. He is a rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are judgment. He's a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is He. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, This woman came and said, I am going to stay at His feet until I get from Him what only He can do. Great faith does not look at Jesus as an option to get what I want. Great faith looks at Him as the only solution to all that I need. You with me this morning? Matthew chapter 15. Let's turn over there. Let's read it from there again, Matthew chapter 15. Her faith was singular, meaning it was in Him alone. I am not putting my trust in Jesus Christ because I think it's a little bit better option than Buddhism. I'm putting my trust in Jesus because I realize He's the only one that can make me righteous, save my soul. There is no other option. There is no other counter-truth. He is the truth. He's the only way. And so then, uh, great faith is singular. Matthew 15, 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan, Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Uh, verse 23, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. May I say this? We invite folks to come to this church. It is not so they can put faith in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. It's so they can put faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, you and I, sometimes, sometimes 
we turn soul winning endeavor in. We'll get, look, I understand we represent the Lord. We have to be a good testimony. But even when his disciples were acting badly and treating her poorly, she didn't turn aside. Why? Because she wasn't trusting them. She was trusting him. Because she had approached him by faith, she knew the difference between him and them. Faith says, look, I know you're a human. I know you're just a man. I know you're just a pastor, but the Lord Jesus Christ is God. She understood. Now the disciples may fail me, but I'm not going to let them turn me away from Him. Don't let people mess up your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I'm trying to say this, great faith is singular. We know the verses, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but... By me, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Great faith is singular. It does not look at the Lord Jesus Christ as an option, but as the only option of salvation from hell, but also from salvation from temptation, salvation from my flesh. Uh, He is the only way. And so then, great faith is singular. Number two, that means it's simple. (laughs) Great faith is not complex. You do not have to be a theologian to have great faith. You know how I know that? Because the two people Jesus said in the Bible had great faith were as common as they get. The centurion was not even a Jew. He He helped build the synagogue, but he never went in it. He wasn't allowed in the synagogue. He's a Gentile. He's just a soldier. He's a common man. Soldiers in that day were common like they are. He was a centurion, so he's a man of authority, but he wasn't the emperor. He's a commoner. This woman, again, we know neither of their names. She's just a Greek, a Syrophoenician. We don't even know if she had a husband. She had a daughter. But what we do know is who she trusted. Great faith is not about how deep your theology is, but how simple and singular you are trusting Him. Because he's living, he can be trusted. I'm telling you, I, I am excited. I am, I am stirred up over the truth. And I've known it and believed it since the Lord saved me. But today, in a fresh way, I'm stirred up with the fact Jesus Christ is alive. He is able to do, not was able, will be able, is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I believe it because God said it. The point is this morning, because he's living today, he has power to deliver me from temptation. He has power to give me wisdom. What happens is often I turn from him to some other earthly solution and I miss God doing something in my life that he could have and would have done if I would have trusted him. Great faith. Talking about the reality of great faith, it's singular. It's in Jesus Christ. It's simple then. She had a need. She had no power to overcome the devil. He did. She trusted him to do what she could not do. Isn't that simple? She trusted him to do what she could not do. How many of us today say, you know what? I can guarantee that the next time, the next 100 times, I face temptation to do wrong, I can guarantee you I'll have no trouble overcoming it. Some person that I don't like is going to be brought up. It favors my way to say something bad about them because I don't like them anyway. So somebody's going to start backbiting them, and I can guarantee you, even though I don't like them, even though they rub me the wrong way, I will not backbite them because I am well able to overcome my flesh. Friend, if you've lived it all any time, you say, Ha! You know what great faith says? Lord, I can't overcome that temptation, but you can because you did. And if you'll give me your life and your strength, I'll do what you want me to do. Isn't that faith? Now, is it no wonder we have such little victory? 
Do you know why we would rather come up with a 21-step program to figure out how to overcome temptation in simple faith? Because guess who gets the glory? Then I can say, let me show you how I live a better life than you do. This Syrophoenician did not walk away saying, well, let me tell you why my daughter got healed today because, you know, look at what I did this. No. You just have to say, the Son of God took care of my need. Isn't that simple? Great faith is singular. Great faith is simple. Great faith is always sincere. She didn't come and call him the son of David and not mean it. She actually literally believed he was who God said he is. Sincere faith. The Bible calls it unfeigned. God will not ever honor counterfeit faith. How many of you ever go to the grocery store or go to the bank and you hand them a bill and you say, can I get change for a hundred? And they take that and they get the little marker and they hold up the light. Why are they doing that? Because it's counterfeit. It has no value. They're not going to give you an exchange on counterfeit money. When you tell God, Lord, I believe you, but in your heart you really don't. Meaning in your heart you think, I don't think that's true. I don't accept that's true. I wonder if it's even right. Unfeigned faith. You and I cannot pretend to believe God and expect God to give us what he would if we actually believed him. How many of you ever, have ever pretended you believed somebody but you didn't? Have you ever told you a story and you go, oh, oh, oh. Sometimes, sometimes my four-year-old tells me stories and I won't deceive him. I listen to him and I think, I know that's not true because it's not. I'm not. We don't believe him because it's not true. He, he's, he's got a big imagination. And so I don't believe him. But sometimes, look, how many of us know that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to believe every word of the Bible? So how many times do we pretend we believe it just to save face with other people? Oh, I believe every word of the book, every one. But in our heart, God has said something we think, I have a hard time. I don't think I, hmm, I don't think so. If we really said what our heart believed, we'd be embarrassed. You with me? I'm not talking about, for this very moment, I'm not talking about somebody pretending to be saved. I'm talking about you took him at his word concerning salvation. But since then, maybe we're a little like the Apostle Peter and Jesus said something we think, no, nah, I don't think so. I mean, they all may all deny you, but not I. <laughs> at least Peter was honest. I think the rest of them thought the same thing. You know why I think that? Because after he said it, they all said the same thing. <laughs> they agreed after he had the courage to pipe up and say what he really believed. My point is this. God will never honor pretentious faith, pretending to believe God, either to save face or whatever it may be. We actually have to say, that's true, because God said it. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.5. Let me read that, and then 2 Timothy 1.5. And then we'll be coming to a conclusion here in our final point in just a few moments. 1 Timothy 1.5 and then 2 Timothy 1.5 both mention the value of unfeigned faith. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Verse 6 From which some having swerved to turn aside unto vain jangling, so on and so forth. What happens is there's times people turn aside from unfeigned faith begin to question God, and it gets us in trouble. It is questioning God that got Eve in trouble in the garden. God told her the truth, and when she began to believe Satan more than God, it got her in trouble. May I say this? Take heed who you believe today. Take heed who you believe. You, cannot, you and I can always believe God. Don't ever believe your flesh. Don't ever believe the world. You know, the world has conjured up all kinds of complicated ideas for one reason, to contradict what God says because of who their father is and who their God is. Satan is a master deceiver to get us to question whether or not what God has said is actually true. 
and cause confusion. This woman, her faith was singular. It was in Jesus Christ alone, not in his disciples, not in the system, in him. It was simple, it was sincere, and thirdly, it was steadfast. That one doesn't need a lot of explanation. You can look at 2 Timothy 1, 5 when you want. Paul talks about the unfeigned faith in Timothy's grandmother and mother. I didn't read that. But if you're back to Matthew 15, the woman's faith was steadfast. You think about what all she went through after she exercised faith in him. She comes, she falls at his feet and says, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Imagine something. Could her wording be better in her prayer request? She's not asking for rights. She's not asking for wages. She's asking for mercy. She's saying, Lord, would you please do something for me? And would you not, would you not give me what I deserve? That's what mercy is. Please, don't give me what I deserve. I deserve for you to tell me to go. I don't deserve an audience with you. I'm not worthy that you should hear my request, but would you show me mercy? How many of you are looking for God to help you in some aspect of your Christian life of either overcoming or God moving in a situation in your life? You need the Lord's help in something. And how many times we think like this, I don't know why He's not helping me. I've been doing everything right. Now, friend, if that's my thought, I need to get back on my knees and get right with God. None of us do everything right. Not me, not you. And if God does anything for us, it's His mercy. We must know that. I I don't deserve for God to do anything. He's already done more than He has to. And God's saving me and God letting me serve me, serve Him for the years I have. If today He said, Nevin, you can't serve me another day. All your usefulness is up. I can't use you anymore. Oh, it would disappoint me. But what mercy that He's let me do it this far. Amen? If you, you and I start thinking, I don't understand why God's not answering my prayer. I've been doing everything right. Friend, we are, our heart is wrong. Sat with a man, and I've shared the story a little bit recently, and that was, that was his contention. He's asking, why isn't God answering my prayer? And I said, generally, God doesn't answer prayers when our hearts aren't submitted. That was kind of my answer in brief. That are you really willing to yield? And he had a testimony being saved, and he said... Yeah, but there was a time when I was doing... I said, are you doing everything God wants you to do right now? And I took him to 1 John 3, that if we keep his commandments, he hears our prayers, he answers them. He says, that's fine, I'm not doing that right now, but there was a time when I was, and he wasn't answering my prayer then either. We say, there was a time when I was doing what he wants me to do, and he wasn't answering prayer, and he's saying is, God has failed me. Listen, it's of his mercies we're not consumed, because great is his faithfulness. Now back to the Syrophoenician woman. She's doing everything the way she should. She says, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed. He says in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 22, uh, O Lord, she, call, she recognizes his authority, thou son of David. That's recognizing he's authentic. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And she'd asked for mercy, Mark 7 tells us. And what's his answer? <laughs> in verse 23, but he answered her not a word. O Lord, thou son of David, have mercy. My daughter's grievously vexed. And his answer was nothing. And so she said, well, I tried. I tried praying. I tried praying with a humble heart. Obviously, he's not, no. (laughs) Then the Bible says the disciples said, send her away. Obviously, after she asked him, she goes to the disciples, would you please would you please ask the master to hear me? Would you please? I just I need help. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I asked him and he won't answer me. Maybe he'll answer you. You ever done that? I've been praying about this situation. Brother so-and-so, would you pray with me? 
Sister so-and-so, would you pray with me? I'm burdened over this. And brother and sister so-and-so finally go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you do something with them? They are bugging me, asking prayer requests all the time. Well, we are right here, aren't we? So she goes to the Lord. He says nothing. She goes to his disciples to try to enlist some help. Maybe I, I, I don't deserve to have my prayers answered, but you're his disciples. And their response is, go away. We are busy. We don't have time to pray for you. And so they ask the Lord. They start praying too. I'm glad her prayer got them praying. You know what their prayer request was? She's an irritant. Lord, please remove all irritation from our lives. Huh? So now she's been offended by the disciples who don't care if she's around or not. Jesus won't answer. Finally, she gets an answer. She's asked for mercy. And basically what he says is that was very appropriate to ask for mercy because you don't deserve what you're asking for. It is not meat. It is not correct. It is not appropriate to give the children's bread to the dogs. We're going home today and have some chicken for lunch. I'm not taking a piece of that chicken out to the cat and feed it to him. I'm not, no, the cat can eat mice and voles and a little bit of dry cat food. I'm not feeding what's put on our table for our children to that cat. And if it was a great St. Bernard, I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's not appropriate to take the children's food and give it to the dogs. You know, you know as well as I do, he's saying, you're not, you're not deserving of what you're asking for. The bread that you've asked for, the miracles that I'm working are for the Jews that are scattered. They're not for you. Now, how many of us would have stayed with him this long? No answer. Then the disciples start a prayer meeting. Please send her away. And then when he finally answers, he says, you're a dog. And you're not fit to receive what you're asking for. You've asked me to give you this and this. You, you're not in a position to receive that. And the next two words out of her mouth are so precious. Truth, Lord. You know what? Your assessment of me is completely 100% accurate. But even dogs get crumbs. Now that puts in perspective. She did not think him casting a demon out of her daughter was a great thing. She said, that's not bread, that's a crumb. You created the universe in six days, casting the devil out of my daughter is nothing to you. You saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. So I think dealing with one of his workers shouldn't be too hard. Sometimes, you know what great faith does? It does not see the work of God as, oh, so hard, so hard for God to do. Great faith helps us to see how easy it is for him to do what we cannot. And so then, the reality of her faith is this. In reality of great faith, it's singular, it's simple, it's sincere. But friend, it is steadfast. It is not easily offended. Again, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall... Look at this. The Pharisees and scribes got offended when Jesus simply told the truth about them. The problem with you is not what's going in you, but what's coming out of you. And they went away. They were mad at him. He tells her... You're not worthy of what you're asking for. And she said, you're exactly right. That should be always our answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth, Lord. Whatever he says to us. Whatever he says to us. Truth, Lord. You're, you're correct. So great faith. It is the reality. It's singular, simple, sincere, and steadfast. Finally, the reward of great faith. Back to Mark 7 as we conclude this morning. Mark chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 we know very well. Uh, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder 
of them that diligently seek him. Would you say at this point this woman was diligently seeking him? She's saying, I am going to, I'm going to think through everything you say and I won't be turned aside. I need you to help me. I need you. Satan has a hole in my home and I need you to help me. And I'm not going to be offended at you. You can say whatever you want to me. I'm not going to be offended because I know who you are. You know why she wouldn't offend him? She knew who he was. When you can figure out who this book came from, nothing it says will, will turn you aside. When you figure out who the author is, who gave us this book, we won't start continue to stumble over what it says. Question what it says. Doubt what it says. We'll say, you know what? I know who gave it. Whatever it says and whatever it says about me, it's God's word. It's right. And so then we find the reward of her faith. Number one, the reward was she got a meeting with the Savior. <laughs> How many people in the, in the coast of Tyre and Sidon were getting to meet with Jesus on that day? He would have no man know it. But she got a meeting. What brought her so close to him? Great faith. She is at his feet. You know what? Many today are not at the feet of Christ. They're not near him. Why? Because it's faith that draws us near. To submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. She demonstrates that. So she had the presence of Christ. You know, it takes faith to get saved and have him present in your life. But may I say, there's another aspect of what I'm trying to say. Even the understanding or the perception of his presence. He can be dwelling in you, and you not sense his presence. What happens? We quit trusting him. Unbelief makes it puts it puts a it puts a darkness over us to where we cannot perceive the presence of God. So the presence of Christ, number two, she had the promise of Christ, Mark seven twenty nine. Once she finally continued to steadfastly entreat him, and he said unto her, verse twenty nine, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. He said, I'm gonna tell you what it is. You've asked me to take care of this, it's done. That's a good promise, right? What she might have done, if she were me, or Gideon, or one person like that, she'd say, Lord, I'm glad you just said that, but I need some proof. Before I go home and I lose you, and don't get another meeting with you. I mean, right now you're talking to me. It took me a long time to get you to answer me. So before I go home, I know you just told me the devil's gone out of my daughter, but before I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little fleece on the ground, and you prove to me that what you just said is true. A great faith doesn't do that. He said, the devil's going out of thy daughter. Just like Hannah, when she got down on her knees and prayed and asked God for a child, and the Eli accused her of being drunk, and she got up and he said, you're going to have your petition. God's going to give you a baby. You know what she did? She went home and she rejoiced and had a feast as if she'd had the baby already. She wasn't even expecting yet. Great faith takes God at his word. Great faith starts rejoicing today about the good time we're going to have with God once we leave here and get into eternity. We don't have to have... Listen, you don't need a book that tells you about 90 minutes in heaven to rejoice over heaven. We already got a book. You with me? You and I don't have to have any other book besides this one. Just read Revelation 21 and 22 and get excited about what's coming. He said it. We got it. We can rest in that great faith. We have a promise from God. And then she not only had the presence of Christ, the promise of Christ, she had the power of Christ. He did for her what she needed him to do. He got Satan's influence released from her little daughter. The power of Christ. Not only that, she pleased Christ. You realize the Lord used this Gentile woman to rebuke his disciples? They were just upset because the Pharisees are offended. And I, I believe the reason it's in the same text is he turned around and says, let me show you what, how you should approach. 
not constantly criticizing my word. I'm the Son of God. I, I am Lord, not them. And here's what great faith looks like. Not intellectualism, not, not high tradition, but a woman who understands who I am on my word and takes me at my word and she got the power of the Lord. We often pray for the power of God and I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder if we actually pray for revival. What do we mean by that? Do we actually want God's goals or are we just trying to use His power to accomplish ours? How many of you believe that Jesus Christ wanted that little girl released from Satan's power? How many of you think He didn't, but He finally did after she talked Him into it? Oh, nonsense. He simply knew her faith and used her as an illustration for them and for us. This is what it's supposed to look like right here. When you'll trust me because of who I am, based on my word, I'll give you what you need. I'll I'll move on your behalf. By the way, he's moved on much less faith than that. Don't misunderstand. But the fact of the matter is it's faith that accesses the power of God. It's faith, trusting him. Number four, she pleased him. He commended her. He said, great is thy faith. And he did that in front of the disciples. He didn't say, poor is your faith to them. But I know when I read it, that's what it says to me. Great is her faith, how poor is mine. And so then she pleased the Lord. Fourthly, or fifthly rather, she had the peace of Christ. The Bible says she went home, verse 30, and when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter what? Laid upon the bed. You know what the atmosphere in her home was when she got home? Calm. Peace. You know what? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and Peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. She went home, and I guarantee you, when she walked in that door, she wanted to see, where's my girl? What does she look like? And the first thing she saw when she walked in that door was, my faith was not in vain. I trusted him and took him at his word, and he did exactly what I knew he would do. You know what? Sincere faith in Jesus Christ will never be disappointed. It may seem like it in the moment, she exercised sincere faith, and what was she getting in moment? Silence. She exercised sincere faith, and what was she getting? Criticism. Make her go away. She's exercising sincere faith, and what is she getting? Belittling. But she continued to exercise sincere faith, meaning sincere faith is steadfast faith because it's convinced he is who I know who he is. Because of his word, I'll not be turned aside by a seeming failure. I know he can be trusted. And by and by, she was not disappointed. There was peace in her home. And who are we here this morning praising because of her great faith? Jesus Christ. Great faith never brings praise of men. It always brings praise of the one who faith was put in. Amen? This morning, we look at this mother with great faith. We don't know her name. I don't know if she had any other children, but she had this one. Grievously vexed with the devil. The root of her faith was what she heard about him. Same with us. We believe what we've heard about him, not what we've experienced, what we've heard from his word. The revelation of that faith, her faith in him made him known, brought into light. The reality of her faith was singular and simple and sincere and steadfast in the reward. She had his presence. She had his power. She had his pleasure and his peace and brought about his praise. Now, friend, that's why we're here. We live so that Jesus Christ may be magnified. Truth? He's worthy of all of that. And so today, how do we accomplish that? Great faith. What is great faith? It's quite simple, isn't it? I take God at his word concerning who he is, and I trust him no matter what it looks like. He is the Son of God. Trust him no matter what. Mm -hmm.